the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So just, okay, I've, I've given it a shot because my biggest thing was, oh, I don't want to just give up because it's gotten hard. But then I'm like, well, I've used all the professional development tools in my toolkit. I, I got nothing else to make this better for myself. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Calling all women who love their ride. I would like to introduce you to a one-of-a-kind women's motor fest. You will not want to miss this sisterhood celebration of women-owned whips, cars, trucks, motorcycles, ATVs. If it has a motor, it belongs. Ladies, this is our motor fest. Boys are welcome to attend but the spotlight will be owned by the women in their whips. Check out all the details by visiting womensmotorfest.com. Luis Azapata is in the driver's seat today. She got her trade certification in 2016 for heavy vehicle mechanics. In that same year, Luis was the first female to compete in and win the National World Skills Trades Competition for the heavy vehicle category. In 2017, she became the first female to compete in the International Heavy Vehicle Competition and placed fourth. After spending some time in the trade and becoming a trainer, Luis decided to take the plunge into entrepreneurship and started her own training and development company. Now let's sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Luis Azapati in the driver's seat today. And maybe I got the accent on that right. <laughs> it's pretty close. <laughs> it's close. It's close. But you are joining me from across the globe. Uh, your stomping ground is Australia, and specifically Sydney, if my memory serves me right. Yes, that is correct. Yay, Australia! Congratulations, you are officially the first Australian on the Femcanic Garage podcast, and I did check, and it is next week, I believe, we're going to have Anna on as well, which will make number two, but you beat her to the punch. So, (laughs) welcome to the show, and hey... Thanks for being you and being femcanic quality. So I appreciate you and how you represent women in the industry. I'm curious to pick your brain on your history, how you got into it, but also to educate myself around what is it like being a woman in Australia in the trades. So we'll we'll get there, but there was a pre-recorded bio so the listeners know a little bit about your background. Um, but we're going to dive in a little more. And I want to start way back when, when it was just a little tyke Luis. <laughs> Did you always know you wanted to be in the trades? 
pretty early on, I knew that I didn't want to study, like formally sit at a desk. Like that was definitely off limits <laughs> straight away. <laughs> I think from when I was about 11, I was like, no, no. <laughs> um, and then when I was like 13, 14, I was getting to the point where like in Australia, you can end, um, you can leave school at the end of year 10, we call it. So it's like, you're about 15, 16, and then you can do two more years of high school, do year 11 and 12, and then you end up finishing when you're 17, 18. Whoa, whoa. Pause one moment. Are you serious? You can be done at 15? Yeah, you can be done. They don't really like that to be well known, but if you have a formal job, you can leave at the end of year 10 slash when you're 15, 16. Can you still, like, technically graduate and stuff? Yeah, so you can just graduate, like – that year kind of wow yeah it's very different it is I mean that's really cool so people who automatically know that they want to work with their hands or something kind of like you did that's an option for them now how is that viewed in Australia so it's still kind of like looked down upon a little bit like I think it's still just the same universe trades kind of mentality but um I think definitely at the beginning, like when you are in that 15, 16, making the decision to leave, people are kind of like against it. But then when you're like, now I'm 25, so it's been 10 years since I left and I've been working. And now everyone's like, wow, you've done so much. And I'm like, yeah, because I left and started doing it like as soon as I knew what I wanted to do. So like now people are amazed at how much I've done. But at the time they were like, no, this is not going to work for you. No, you should just stay in school for as long as we possibly can keep you here. (laughs) Now, what did your parents think about you going down that path? It was pretty, like, it was expected because I literally tried to start leaving school when I was 11. I was like, no, this is not for me. Can I just, can I just not go? (laughs) Can I just start working? Because my parents um, have a family farm. Um, They grow tomatoes. And I was just like, can I just stay here? Why not? Why should I have to go to school? <laughs> I'll help you guys are on the farm. Yeah, but that's literally how it went. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, no, <laughs> you need to at least make it to year 10. <laughs> trades covers, I know we keep saying trades, but what was your area of focus? So my focus was heavy commercial vehicles, so trucks, road transport. Is that where you started? Yes. When you were like? When I was 15. So as soon as you were 15, did you like go into like an apprenticeship or something? So I was 15 in the middle of year 10. So I was like 15 and a half when I finished year 10 and started the apprenticeship. Um, And then I went straight into the apprenticeship. So here we just do training while working on site. So to get into the apprenticeship course, you need to have a job. And then pretty much the way that it works is our apprenticeships are four years And over the first three years, you either do like one day a week or week blocks. So you spend like a whole week, six times a year going to TAFE, which is what we call our like technical college um, Mm -hmm. over those years. And then every time you're not at training, at formal training, you're working in your apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. So there is a technical school that you go to then? Yeah. It seems like it's pretty well balanced between like hands-on working a job and attending the technical school. Yeah, it is. It really complements each other pretty well. Now, how were you received into that program? Pretty well. There was another girl that was ahead of me. So I come on as a first year and she was a second year. So it was 
pretty kind of normal for like so there was two of us so in that workshop it was kind of like yeah cool um it was mainly just like there was an odd individual that had an issue with it but it was like it was nothing too big like we kind of knew who the idiots were and we're just like yeah this guy's being an idiot again and we're like yeah, cool. All right. We just work work because we were in a fairly large workshop. So there was about 40 mm-hmm. mechanics on the floor and then the it was divided into teams of about five or six. Um, and as apprentices, you just go between the teams where there was work available, where they needed an apprentice or that kind of work for your level was available. So we just avoid asking the teams with the idiots in them <laughs> for work. No, makes sense. It's... Uh... Keep it simple. That's it. Just stay away from the negativity or the ignorance. That makes sense to me. Now, is it a, like a two-year program? Um, it's four years. It's four years. So literally you had your four-year degree geez, by the, at a young age. Yeah, I was 19 when I was done. By 19? Yeah. And you had already had four years under your belt at that point. Yeah, that's it. Now, once you got your certification... What is it referred to there? Is it degree, certification, licensing? Yeah, or trade certificate. Okay. Kind of thing. And then like for mechanics here over here, in some states there's um, motor repairers licensing to work mm-hmm. on road registered vehicles. Um, but then it's only in some states of Australia, not all states have that as well. But the state I'm in has motor repairers licensing, which you can apply for on top of so you get your trade certificate you become trade Mm -hmm. qualified and then you can apply for the licensing and then that'll allow you to start your own business like servicing and repairing road registered vehicles okay this is not trade related at all but i'm trying to connect the dots here Mm -hmm. um what kind of weather do you guys experience all four seasons? Yeah, we experience all four seasons. So where I am specifically located, so I'm kind of greater Western Sydney, closer to like I'm away from the city city and heading out into the rural area. But where mm-hmm. I am in winter, we can get, we go degrees Celsius. We can get minus five degrees Celsius. And in summer, we can get 48 degrees Celsius. So Yeah, we're in Fahrenheit. So... It's a confusing conversion. It's not straightforward. Yeah, and I don't know it off the top of my head. Maybe those are listening. Maybe I'll go in and dub in what that is. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head. And, and the reason why I'm asking is when I interview some women in Canada. It's not that cold. <laughs> right, right. No, I'm with you. But it, it could be the opposite as well, right? So I'm trying to like wrap my mind around it where – especially when you're in heavy diesel, I I imagine there's situations where they're not always in a shop. Have you ever had to go on site to work on machinery? Yeah. So um, my first, so my first four and a half years were spent predominantly on road transport vehicles and I was 99% in a workshop there. But then my second position was doing more road transport as well as ag equipment and plant machinery. So tractors, and excavators and diggers and stuff like that as well Mm -hmm. um so with that we were servicing farms so if a machine broke down in the middle of a paddock we would fix it in the middle of the paddock and that's kind of where my head was going for understanding the weather there Mm. 
because Shelby Levisky, uh, interview that I did, she is a heavy diesel mechanic as well in Canada. And where she works, the way she described sounds kind of in the middle of nowhere. And she uh, maintains a fleet of buses for the school. Well, she was sharing how they had to have engine heater, like block heaters, and it, it would get down to like negative, I think she said like 20 some degrees. Yeah, and it gets like, like kind of like if you turn the machine off, the fluids would freeze like right. over there. But that doesn't happen over here. We don't have that. So I, I got my conversion, Luis. Okay. I, I flipped over. So mm-hmm. you said uh, in the hottest time of the year, it is what Celsius typically? Uh, like the hottest is like 48. What? Is that like pretty consistent? It's not really consistent. It's kind of like we might get the hottest week of summer and yeah. then it's about 42 degrees Celsius. On average. On average in the summer. Listeners, you can go and look this up. This is We're just totally off, like just off the cuff. But for my brain, it helps me understand some of the conditions that you may be working in as a mechanic there. And 48 degrees Celsius translates to about 118 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot. <laughs> but you said on average, probably around, you said 43? Yeah, 43, 42. And even at 42 degrees Celsius, that's still 107, uh, if you round up, 108 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. So that's summer. Now, what are your guys' winters like? Like the um, coldest. So it gets super cold at night, but then it usually warms up. So like the coldest at night it might get is minus five degrees Celsius. Holy shnikes. But so that'll be night and then it gets about ten during the day. So twenty three degrees Fahrenheit is the translation for for all the, the US listeners. And you said negative five at night and then you said ten? Yeah, ten during the day. That's not too bad during the day. So that's 50 degrees. Okay. That helps because, like I said, if you're out fixing and it doesn't even make it into the shop, wow, that's really hot. Yeah. And you got to be really careful because it's like the Australian sun, I don't know what the sun's like over there, but it burns. Like if you are not covered up, you'll get burnt from it. So it's not just like, okay, don't wear much, wear singlets and stuff because then your skin is going to like go bright red and... Did you say singlets? Yeah, singlets, like tank tops. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, I, if I ask you translation, I'm just trying to, to understand the, the lingo. I, I want to be down with the cool Australian lingo. So <laughs> we, we have a really inappropriate term that a lot of people use in the US for tank tops, particularly if men are wearing them. And and I think maybe a lot of people know what I'm talking about. I, like I can't even I don't even want to say it because as a as a female podcast, I just don't even want it to be on the recording. I'm sure everywhere has this where you have some of these sayings that get passed down culturally and at some point you pause and you're like, "What?" Where did that even come from? Like, seriously. (laughs) It's like if you just look at the phrase on its own without context, it doesn't make any actual sense. (laughs) Are you talking about singlet or are you talking about just saying in in general? general? Yeah. 
sayings in general, like some things just get passed down and around or like from a specific workshop or in like the inside joke kind of things and then you like try and tell someone else about it and they're like, those words don't make sense together. <laughs> Have you had any of those like passed down in your family where you just paused one day and you're like, where did that even come from? Like I'll, I'll share a saying with you where maybe it was a country thing where I grew up. There's this expression, uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. And I'm like, I have a cat. But I've said it, like, without even thinking. I'm like, that's actually really gruesome and gross. I love my cat. Like, I don't want to skin my cat. Like, that's weird. (laughs) Why am I saying that? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely some weird things out there. Do you have any funny or weird saying I can't think of any off the top of my head, but me and my partner have a comp. Like, I'll say something, uh-huh. and he'll be like, "What are you saying?" Like, <laughs> like, like this thing, and he's like, "What?" <laughs> that is funny. Well, as we go through this conversation, uh, if one pops into your head, please do share <laughs> because those are some of the interesting and most fun things to learn about other cultures like some of the little quirky things. So here you are, by 19, you have four years under your belt. You have your um, certificate. You're working on heavy machinery. Did you land a job at that point? Or what's kind of the next step typically once you have your certification? So with that, um, with the apprenticeship, there's like an apprenticeship contract. So you've got your... um, four years and you need to be employed for that four years. So like the employer signs up to take you for four years. Um, And then after that, it's kind of like generally you get a job at that same business because they've trained you on their equipment. So they keep you within the business. So roughly 90% of the time that people do an apprenticeship, that company then offers them a a tradesperson position. Um, So I got offered the tradesperson position. I'm there and I ended up staying there for eight months and then I moved to a different workshop where I was working on the farm equipment. And I want to call out because other people probably totally picked up on this. I know in the pre-interview, for me, I I wanted to clarify, so maybe there's some other listeners. Uh, When you're referring to workshop, that's uh, literally changing companies. Yeah, so when we talk... Yeah, when I yeah, when we talk workshops like that's that one site is that workshop. Yep. And then we call a site like a building site or a mine site will be a site and then that site would have a workshop on it. Now, why did you decide to dive into heavy machinery opposed to like automotive or To be honest, I don't really like cars that much. That's funny. <laughs> that's cool. Like I love I love mechanical concepts. Like I think that's the thing like I can look at a performance car and be like appreciate you know the blower and like the supercharger and the cooling system and all that kind of stuff individually but then the whole thing over like together I'm like no I don't like no it doesn't appeal to me at all (laughs) what kind of sucked you into the heavy diesel then so I grew up like growing up on the farm with mum and dad, um, I was always working with my hands and we were always riding motorbikes and stuff like that. So originally I wanted to get into motorbike mechanics. Um, 
we do work experience. So it's kind of like unpaid work in different workshops or with different businesses. So I did a bit of work experience at different workshops that were like my local workshops where we get parts from and stuff. So they knew me there. And they were like, yeah, you know, you're good, like, but we don't have any positions like going and stuff. So then I went to an apprenticeship expo. So pretty much it's just like an apprenticeship kind of fair kind of thing where companies have that have apprenticeships available are there advertising their apprenticeships. So I went to one of those and the girl that was a year above me, she was at their stand. So I started at Cummins. So she was at the Cummins stand talking about her first year of her apprenticeship and I ended up talking to her and she was like, cool, like you should come and do work experience at Cummins. So I ended up doing a week there and I was like, this is awesome. And I ended up applying for the job and then getting the job there. Way cool. So you would have been how old when that happened? I was like, I was 15 when that like all happened. I'm sitting there thinking of me when I was 15 years old. And I can only imagine what that experience was like where you go and check it out. And then you actually say, hey, will you take me in? And then they say yes. That day that you found out that they said yes, what was that like for you? It was really surreal because for me, I had... So I had applied for the job. I had gone for the interview. They were kind of like, oh, no, we're looking for people. What did you wear? Like, how did you, I mean, 15 and you're going to interview with Cummings? I mean, it's not like that's a fly-by-night company. That is a major name brand. Yeah. So what was that? I think I was wearing, like, neat skate shoes and straight jeans so not fitted jeans I was wearing straight jeans I had this pair of jeans that I used to wear all the time and just a neat t-shirt I'm pretty sure that's what I wore I think that's what I wore everywhere at that part of my life (laughs) were you just kind of like geeking out and freaking out like okay like what should I wear what like did you have a resume or like yeah I had a resume and everything but I don't even know I think like so Looking back, because it was, yeah, about 10 years ago, I kind of was just like, because I kind of said that, you know, like when I talk about the schooling thing again, how you can leave when you're 15 at the end of year 10, a lot of employers do want you to have gone to year 12 because you're usually a few years older mm-hmm. um, for them to take you in. So they would kind of come on to like, oh, no, we're looking for people that have left year 12 because, you know, older and they have their license and stuff like that because over here you can get your driver's license and drive on your own when you're 17. So, Oh, you have to be 17 before you can drive? Yeah, well, you can get your learners so you can drive with someone else when you're 16 and then when you're 17 you can go and do gotcha. the test to then drive on your own. Gotcha. Um. So they were like, oh, you know, you're 15, you're really young, you're probably not going to get it. So I kind of like went in with like, like it's, it's going to be a good experience to see the interview process because they had said straight up, you know, like probably not, but apply anyway. So like I kind of went into it with of like, oh, this will be a good experience to see how the interview process works. And then they called me and they're like, oh, yeah, so you got the job. And I'm like, how did you sell yourself? I mean, were you fixing stuff on your own farm and just kind of spoke to that? Yeah, spoke to that. And like they asked a lot about what I learned in that one week of work experience while I was there. And I had written like a little bit of a journal kind of thing of like, you know, worked with this person, worked on this truck, did this job kind of thing. And I had that information behind me as well um, when I went to the interview. And yeah, no, I think. 
there was there's this really weird coincidence kind of thing that happened. So I'm a trainer and assessor now as well as a life coach. But when I went for my apprenticeship and the interview at Cummins, they asked me how a turbo works. And I was like, I kind of winged it. And I was like, you know, I'm not too sure, but this is what I think. And so I went like that. But then when I went for my position to um, be a trainer and assessor for heavy vehicle mechanics, they get you to do a, like a little 10 minute lesson as part of your interview. They're like, okay, here's a topic we want you to talk about. And they asked me to talk about turbos in that interview <laughs> as well. And I was like, what? This is like full circle. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'll learn more about turbos. Yeah, it was so funny, but it was just some super random. It, it <laughs> keeps coming around somehow, huh? Yeah. That's outstanding. <laughs> now, how long did you end up staying with Cummings then? I was there for just over four and a half years. So, so a while. Why did you yeah. decide to leave? I was kind of at the point where I wanted something a bit different um, because at the shop that I was at, we did a lot of warranty work. So it was a lot of the same stuff over and over again. Um, and we were only working on engines. So we didn't work on like the whole vehicle. Like most, like the most we got was like, we might've done a full chassis grease or like removed a gearbox to get to a rear main seal. Um, but besides that, we didn't do much else. And also I was at this position where I was having a lot of trouble with my supervisor and I had, you know, gone forward with complaints, tried to do different things to kind of work around that. And then I was like, no, I've tried everything. Like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So True. I was like, just okay, I've, I've given it a shot because my biggest thing was like, oh, I don't want to just like give up because it's gotten hard. But then I'm like, well, I've used all the professional development tools in my toolkit. I, I got nothing else to make this better for myself. Yeah. It becomes like self-preservation and um, uh, doing what's best for yourself at that point. At what point did you decide, hey, I want to try this life coaching thing? So through my journey, I've gotten the chance to do interviews. I've won a few awards and stuff like that. And I've competed in mechanical competitions as well. And through that process, like people would always ask me, you know, like, what's the next step for Louise? And I'm like, oh, I want to get into a position to help women in trades. Like that was it. I didn't know what it looked like. And I had been saying that probably since I was a third year because I won an award every year um, for my apprenticeship. And then I got two national awards just after I finished my apprenticeship. And then the year after that, I went internationally with a competition, with the World Skills competition. Did you say welding? Uh, no, World Skills. What does that stand for? So, World Skills is like a tradey competition run in heaps of different trades. So, they've got um, different categories. So, I competed in heavy vehicle maintenance, but they like it's run in hairdressing, um, boiler making, patisserie. I think it's run in about 50 or 60 different categories. Mm hmm. I'm trying to make the correlation, the connection here in the U.S. Because there is a U.S. It's team probably that competes. Interesting, because there's like a Skills US, yeah. USA. Skills USA um, is what it is over there. And then Skills yep. USA, like World Skills is the overruling. Got it. Okay, the connection. So you yeah. got to compete internationally. Yeah, I got to compete internationally. What was that like? How old were you when you did that? I was 21. Yeah, I was 21 when I did that. 
And it was... Was it, did you do it in Australia or did you get to travel? So I competed nationally in Australia and then I won nationally. And then we traveled to Abu Dhabi where the international competition was. That was like, it was one of those surreal kind of things where it was like, there was so many emotions leading up to it that it kind of was almost like a dream kind of thing when you come out of it and you're like, what, what Mm -hmm. even just happened? (laughs) Yeah, it it doesn't sink in until after you leave, mm. almost. That's it. Because especially if you're competing, you're you're trying to be in the right right mindset and stay focused. That's it. Did you get to do some like sightseeing and stuff while you were there? Yeah, we did a little bit of sightseeing, and then I also went traveling afterwards. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like you're in the competition zone, so it's just like kind of you got blinders on and you're trying to focus. But then everyone's like, "Oh, enjoy mm-hmm. the experience," and I'm like, "I'm here for a competition, guys!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm here to experience the competition. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So I went and I competed internationally. Um, yeah, that was in 2017, so that was pretty cool. And it was just like really the thing that I loved most about the competition was that I got to make impact other leaders in the industry that were in other countries. Um, so like there were 16 countries that competed the year that I competed. So there's all the competitors and the competitors have what we call like an expert, so like their mentor. Mm-hmm. And when they get over there, the mentors then become the judges who judge all the competition as well. And these are people that are leaders in the industry from all over the world. And for them, like seeing me up there competing, and then I ended up coming fourth. So I ended up beating a lot of the people that they had trained as well. Um, So they were like, shit, like girls can do it. And I managed to like impact on that level. And these people are going to go back to their countries and be like, yeah, cool. Why not train girls kind of thing? Yeah. So overall, that was the best thing that come out of that experience that's way cool way cool now in australia are you guys seeing a shortage of skilled trade workers as well yeah we are it's a global thing it seems to be a global thing yeah and just to kind of uh piggyback off of what you're saying where opening their mind to the possibility of women having their place in this industry in the skilled trades in general, because when women aren't thought of to be possible candidates, when I'm referring to they and, you know, the industry decision makers to move the needle on this, right? They're eliminating 50% of the population for God's sake. That's it. And it's just like, it's such a crazy thing. Cause it's like, I think it impacted everywhere. Well, like kind of the way that I see it, like physically in the industry is like in the workshop or like in the workplace, there's people who are about to like almost drop dead, semi-retired kind of just hanging in there. And then there's all the young people. And then that kind of middle-aged age group is really, really thin because that is like the generation that was really pushed towards university study. So there's like a massive oh, yeah. empty space. Gen X, man. Like I felt that way. Like I, I didn't feel like it's not that I was discouraged from pursuing potential skilled trades. I certainly wasn't encouraged. And the only thing that was talked to with me was going to college. That mm. was the option. And if you didn't go to college, there's this kind of unspoken 
Uh, Is it like a hierarchy kind of thing, like a social hierarchy of what happens? Yeah, it's like, you know, if you want to be successful, you need to go to the college. And lo and behold, there's a bunch of ridiculously wealthy people in my generation that started a thing called Google and Amazon. (laughs) You know what I mean? And these folks didn't go to college. Or if they went, they dropped out. So that's it. I think like that's that typical path. Like this is a thing that I've been doing a lot. When I've stepped into the coaching space, it's kind of opened up a whole different realm of discussion. But it's kind of like looking at how formal school education is still a new thing compared to like the existence of humans kind of thing. Like it's fairly fresh and it come up around when the Industrial Revolution come up. So pretty much a bunch of, I I use this term often, I don't know, like a bunch of old white men who had factories wanted to train the population to then work in their factories so then they could make lots of money. The nine to three school hours, let's teach people to come to school and follow the rules and do what they're told. So... Yeah, I, Luis, you and I are so much on the same page. I regularly have conversations with my kids saying, hey, if you want to go into trades and you want to start a job and you want to work at that job for a while, maybe later you figure out, hey, I do want to go to college or maybe it's not college. Maybe it's I just want to go get my certification in X. Mm. Do it. My goodness, do it. College financial debt. Ultimately, and could potentially not even be worth it. That's it. I think it's like in Australia, I don't know how how it is over there, but in Australia, your apprenticeship is all paid. So you're paid like you're working. And obviously it's like a lower rate because you're training. But your education, like that formal part of it, is 90% of the time paid by the employer or they have kind of every few years they bring in like government boosts to like pay for apprenticeship training. So you are literally out of there's no out-of-pocket expenses. Yeah, I I think it's brilliant. What year did you start your um, life coaching business? Eight months ago <laughs> this year. <laughs> it's very new. And how does it feel? Oh, it feels so good. It just feels like right. I don't know. Like it was just like everything else, like trying to fit into the box of being. So I went from Cummins and then I worked for like a really small business. It was just like me, my boss and another apprentice working out of a backyard shed kind of thing pretty much. Um, And then I worked for Caterpillar. So I worked for West Track, which was a Caterpillar dealer in my area up until February this year. So I've had my mix of experience in large corporate business as well as small family business. And I just hate how there's just so many rules and social constructs and the hierarchy and you can't say this and you can't say that and you got to pretend this is happening and no you can't do too much because you're going to make everyone else look bad and you know all that kind of shit and I'm like finding problems that I could fix and people being like no you can't fix them no that's actually not a problem and I'm like I don't understand how that's not a problem but anyway and I was just yeah so (laughs) frustrated I think you and I are cut from the same cloth my friend isn't that incredibly frustrating that's the best way to describe it it's just like and I did so much work on myself because I was kind of kind of in that point where I was like okay professional development mentoring like can I control like I can only control what I I do right but then it come into the fact where I had to kind of 
dull my light to survive in that business. And it got to a point, it was so funny, when we come out of COVID lockdown, my manager was like, okay, you need to do less work. And I'm like, but I'm literally doing everything in my my 40 hours. You know, you've got me employed for 40 hours. I finish all the standard work in about 20 and you're telling me not to do any more work. (laughs) Yeah, you kind of do everything too fast. (laughs) So what I did was I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to work from home most of the time. So I would only work a few hours and then go and train at a dance studio like during the day because I was like... (laughs) You told me not to do any more work. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And educate me a little bit. Like, was it clear to you why you were being asked to try to dial it back? I think it was because I was finding so many problems. I actually had solutions. They didn't want to fix the problems. And also, I think, like, I don't know, I've, I found this a lot that I tend to think a lot faster than the people around me. Like, I'm just like, okay, cool, you've got a, a problem, here's a solution, let's implement the solution. And they're like, what, how did you come up with a solution? Why? We can't implement it yet, that's too quick, like, kind of thing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so even, like, some of my coworkers were like, you can't keep doing this much work, then everyone else is going to expect us to do more. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, not all of them. I had some amazing co-workers who kind of like loved the fact that I could do so much and they were like, cool, Louise has like seen all the all the solutions. Like they'd actively get me involved in conversations and use that part of like my brain of being able to fix problems and implement super quickly. And I, I found that I was really good at like knowing my team and being like, cool, like this is a solution to the problem and having team members with specific skills and I'd be like, you'd be really good at fixing this part of the problem, whereas they wouldn't have been able to connect the problem to the solution to what they could do about it. It was kind of like, well, it's mm-hmm. a problem that's over there. So my good team members would take advantage and, like, we'd work together as a team and, you know, complement each other. But some of the other ones that were just like, no, you're going to make us do more work. Can you please not? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, right. Oh, man. <laughs> So you you ended up taking the plunge yeah. to become a full-time life coach now. Yeah, well, I'm so what I do at the moment is I kind of do 50-50, so I contract out gotcha. to um a company that teaches um a trade upgrade program we call it over here. So like we mentioned before there's a skill shortage and the mine sites brought in a lot of people to work on the heavy plant equipment that didn't have the formal qualification. So a lot of them are like light vehicle mechanics that have just learnt on the go or like boiler makers or fitters with like different, like slightly different off branches of the qualification that have just kind of worked it out as they went along. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they've got a big kind of ruling in, um, they, they've called it, I think it's like industry 4.0 or something. They want everyone to have the same qualification, to have like the same base skill. So I'm a trainer for that program um as a contractor so I have my own business which is Louise as party training and development solutions and I contract like my technical training out and do 20 hours a week roughly of that and then my other 20 hours goes towards life coaching what's the average age of people in those training courses a lot older than me I was going to say, I'm like, I, I didn't want to be presumptuous, but my guess was is that if you're 25, would you say they're on average at least 35 or older? Yeah. 
because these are people who have already been in their trade and they're just kind of supplementing or filling in some gaps is what it yeah, sounds like. Yeah, kind of – it's more like paperwork gaps, a lot of them. <clears throat> um, and a lot of them are keen to get formal education on – so, it's yeah, it's kind of more like a paperwork exercise, but a lot of the guys are like, well, we actually get to learn the formal things that we learn on, like, on the run. <laughs> so Yeah. How are you received? Is it all virtual? Um, no, so it's the – training part of it is face to face do they walk in and they're like (laughs) yeah they don't even realize it's you until you start talking yeah there's like a bit of a yeah like there's that bit of a shock kind of thing sometimes but a lot of them are really good and a lot of them know that it's at least a woman coming because then they're like okay Louise is your trainer this is your training course like these are your dates kind of thing so I think that is kind of taken out a little bit but a lot of them are kind of like we we joke a lot about the age kind of thing, and I'm I don't mm-hmm. hide it anyway because I love my training, my face to face training to be more of a discussion rather than me telling them. So mm-hmm. it's more like when I train people, it's like a guided discussion to get all the objectives out. Like, guys, come on, tell me a story about when you've when you've seen this. All right, tell me what you know about this subject. Okay, let's fill in any gaps that you guys have. Um, so I think that having that style and technique when I'm training, it's not like I'm really young and pretending to know more than them. It's like, cool, we know different things. Let's fill the gaps. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant approach where you just have them share their experiences. I can't think of a better way to break down any of those potential barriers. That's it. So I find like now... I have no issues because I start straight with that. Mm-hmm. Did it take you a little bit of time to get there? Little yeah, trial and error. little trial and error. Because I, I was a trainer for CAT um, and I was training their apprenticeship program and then I started training their trade upgrade program as well. Um, yeah, it kind of come from just trial and error with that. And also like I hate being a student where you're just listening to someone talk. So I was always like that from the beginning. I was like, I don't want to talk the whole time. No. (laughs) It's not my thing. (laughs) Yeah. That is outstanding. So now you're doing 50-50. Yeah. So you strike me as a person that is a planner and vision board type of person and thinking forward. What's your one to two or three year vision for yourself? I kind of, so I have this like, yeah, long-term kind of goal of, Kind of just like what I saw leading up to me becoming like creating this 50-50 situation for myself, which was pretty much burnout because I was working full time in a technical position, plus wanting to help women, which I was doing on top of that for free, casually, all the time. And because I had so much heart and soul for that, I literally ended up like kind of burning myself out a few times. I did like a proper set of burnout um, when I transitioned from being on the tools to training um I had a few months off working full-time because I was on the tools I was helping run workshops at a women's shed teaching women I was talking at schools I was you know social media kind of mentoring um women in trades and I was like shit like what can I do kind of thing. So then I created the 50-50 role for myself by coming really specialized in the type of training that I do which, you know, trainers over here, I don't know what it's like over there, but because there's not enough skilled tradespeople 
there's also not enough skilled tradespeople to then become trainers to then train the next lot of skilled tradespeople. So um, training is a really kind of niche area as well and being good and sought after at it kind of allowed me to like pick my hours because they were so kind of desperate to have someone. So I found that niche for myself in that area and I was like, cool. So this gives me the time and the energy as well to actually help women. And I see a lot of other girls face that burnout where they try and start, you know, a blog sharing stories. They start try and start a casual mentoring program or something. And I see them come in full of energy and then they burn themselves out. So going back to my long-term plan, <laughs> I want to create a business where I can have, say, a female carpenter or a female boilermaker employed for my business, say, once a fortnight or once a week and have them a paid position where they can then mentor or coach people in their trade. So rather than trying to do it full time, they can say, cool, like I do over here, our standard working week is either 37 hours or 38 hours or 40 hours. So Mm -hmm. if they say, okay, cool, for my work, I'm going to cut down to doing 35 hours or I'm going to do I'm going to do four 10-hour days and I'm going to have this day where I'm employed by Louise to then mentor and coach women in their specific industry. I think that's brilliant. I'm going to play it back to you, see if I I caught all that, where women, instead of having to basically start their own business like you're doing right now, you would give them an opportunity to kind of step into your model and just allow them to work in their zone of genius on their particular topic rather than worrying about uh, trying to find women that they can teach. And so that would be your company handles all the logistical stuff. So it allows them to stay in their zone of genius. Yeah, that's it. And I find like a lot of us, even me as well, like I want to stay technical. Like that's my roots. That's really why Mm -hmm. like I wanted to stay technically training. I want to stay like I do cash jobs as well to keep my technical ability like up to scratch so like what is that again so like we call them cashies so it's like on the side jobs so like gotcha yeah. okay they're called cashies yeah i love that name i love that description i want to do cashies it's it's, it's yeah. i know that's just what we call but yeah, so I've got like a few customers and I always also help my, my parents on the farm as well with their machinery and stuff, but just to stay in touch. And I know a lot of girls also want to stay in touch. Like they want to stay working full time and they also want to help other women. So it's like trying to find something that is a balance that is sustainable. So two of my like main goals is kind of like sustainable workload and sustainable income. So not sacrificing your income because then like if you sacrifice your income, then obviously your energy is going to go to all your stressing about not being able to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. It doesn't add up. You need to have a bit of both. Yep. So yep. being able to create a situation like that for other women who can then be like, cool, I want to help. Like, okay, cool. Let's see like what you want to do exactly. And, you know, let's give you a position where you can have time and energy to do this kind of work. I love it. I think this is like the perfect time to launch into the red line round because I'm curious how you're going to answer some of these questions because I think it's going to complement this conversation that we're in right now. So the red line is five rapid fire questions, no right or wrong answer to them. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Are you ready? Yep. (laughs) 
All righty. Who or what has been your inspiration in your journey in the industry? Pink, the singer, just being unapologetically herself. Oh, boy. That's a good one. That is a really good one. Have you watched any of the like documentaries on her? I have, and I've been to her concert twice. What an amazing human being. Yeah. And I find like sometimes I'm embarrassed to say that because like if you're in a really formal circle, they're kind of like, what's your favorite author or your favorite book? I'm like, the person I look up to is Pink because she is herself. That's what I want. I want to be myself. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I I think that's brilliant. Luis, where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? Google. <laughs> Google. It's fair. Yeah. And um, that's fair. I had um, my last boss when I was on the tools. Um, unfortunately, he passed away at the beginning of the year, but he's like, I would call him. And then, but now I think, like, what would Will do? So his name was William. So I'm like, what would Will do? No, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. What excites you most about what you do? Being the person I wish I had. Mm hmm. That's good. That's good. That's good stuff right there. Listeners, you need to pause and play that back in your head. Think about that. Do you mind saying it one more time, Louise? I want to be the person that I wish I had. Right? That is kind of a foundational thing of what Femcanic Garage is all about. It's about providing access to the women in all of your stories for the women who need it. And a lot of times, even for the women who have grown but still need it. I think like, I think something that I really find interesting is that even though I'm 25, I'm 10 years into my time like working in the industry, because I'm so passionate about like being the best version of myself and looking out like to how I can better myself and not saying that other people don't do this but a lot of the women age-wise and experience-wise that I would technically like looking at the numbers that I would look up to they're coming to me for help Mm -hmm. and I found that like a really kind of strange experience thinking of like the general hierarchy kind of as what we're taught when we're growing up is like cool like look up to the people who are older than you who have come before you but it's not just one thing that I've really worked out is like it's not age it's effort yeah yeah I I mean I think about my my kiddos my daughter's gonna be 14 and my son is 12 (laughs) 11 Jesus that's terrible edit this bit out (laughs) 11 my god I'm like what year is it Who knows 20, anymore? 2021. Oh my God. <laughs> Does it even count? I'm telling you, I'm still recovering from 2020. It's like that year didn't even exist, even though we all had birthdays that year. Yeah. He's 11. Holy crap. Um, but the, the thing that blows me away to your point around effort is that they're better than me at many things. And that's okay. We all have different skill sets. We all know different things. Passions, focus. Mm. My daughter blows me out of the water in makeup. She is really good with makeup. I can't even count how many tutorials she's watched. 
she has a lot of makeup and not the cheap makeup, but like good quality makeup. And the stuff that she does is impressive. She blows me out of the water. But it goes back to exactly what you said, effort. She's doing it all the time and no one's making her. She's doing it because she loves it. That's it. I had um, a kind of a bit of a negative experience with that really kind of shook this kind of thing to my core where I was working with, so with the World Skills Competition, I am now kind of, it's like a funny situation now because shit hit the fan, but as it does, but I was chief judge for this round for the national competition and, you know, COVID and stuff and everything has just been a disaster as literally everything in the world has been <laughs> because of COVID. But um, the past chief judge who had done it for a while, he was like in his seventies. And I was like, oh, this guy's going to have so much knowledge. I'm so keen to work with him. It was the worst experience I've ever had. I've never felt so, I've never felt stupid for forward thinking, but he made me feel stupid for forward thinking. And it was kind of like, you can't do that. And I'm like, why not? It's better than how it's been. And he was like, no. And I just had so many arguments kind of, and I'm like, I cannot go backwards. I cannot come down to your level for this. I, and I think the thing for me is I kind of had that hierarchy in my head of the, like the years experience, like he's got to know more mm-hmm. than me, right? And I was just like. And he, he does in certain things, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot's changed. <laughs> That's it. But I just couldn't believe that I was, like the situation was, I was cool, like let's, let's work together, let's okay. But then it was just, nope. And then, like, there was another guy that got involved as well who was kind of in that similar position, like, age-wise. I was like, cool. But I was like, guys, I, I kind of have a thing as well where it's like only take advice from the people that you respect and you want to be like. Mm-hmm. And these two guys having work with them, and I was like, I do not want to be like that. And also, like, there's there's two different types of things you can learn from people attributes that you like and attributes you never want to have (laughs) (laughs) everyone will teach you something it could be either side of the scale and these guys definitely fell more onto the side of the scale as like no I never want to be like that and I was kind of almost gaslighting myself being like no it just might be because they're older and they've my one of my mentors was like he probably just has blood pressure issues and he didn't take his blood pressure tablets <laughs> and I'm like I literally asked him how he was today and he lost his shit at me like I can't do this <laughs> us as women we tend to the gaslighting man we just need to go with our gut we need to honor our gut more and I'm guessing your gut was telling you hey this isn't right no, that's it. But I was like, okay, respect, respect them, respect them. And I was like, bullshit. Respect for thyself. That's it. Like if they don't respect me, I'm not going to respect them no matter how bloody old they are. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. And one thing that I kind of come up with that I told my audience, I was like, you have people that are shit at their jobs when they're young and then you have people who are also shit at their jobs when they're old. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit of a funny one because I know that's definitely like, you know, give everyone a chance. And But then there's, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And it kind of comes to that. It's like there's this one guy that I used to work with and he used to sign his emails off as Grumpy Tony. Like he fully just embraced <laughs> it. And everyone was like, I cannot stand him. 
I could have conversations with him for like three hours. I would just give him a chance. He had like shit going on with his wife and all this kind of other stuff that was making him really grumpy. And I would kind of like, okay, let's get through all of this. Like, let's give him a go. Like, you know, give him a few chances. And I broke the grumpiness and he had so much knowledge. And I was like, cool, like I want to treat everyone this way. Let's like everyone has a hardened exterior because of some reason. You know, is there good stuff on the inside of that hardened exterior? (laughs) (laughs) That is beautiful, which you kind of dancing around it a little bit. What's a personal habit or practice that helps you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? So you just gave an example of a situation where clearly you felt a little stuck working with those men, a little discouraged. What was a personal habit or practice that helped you get through that? I don't know if this is exactly related to that, but I would always imagine a time when I had done it or had done something similar. Like I have this really <laughs> this really funny thing with um, the oil filters on the one of the Cummins engines was on a slight angle and there was like lines in the way and it was really hard to get the angle right and every time I was under the truck and I was like swearing and shit I'd just be like imagine the time when it went on and how did that feel and you and then it like literally worked like almost 100% of the time unless it was like a leaf or something stuck that I missed but it was just like imagining a time when you did it and kind of like taking the skills from that moment and that that mindset and being like okay done this before this is what I was thinking that time this is what I did okay cool what did I wish that I did differently that time okay let's go forward with that (laughs) I love it that is good stuff right there finally what's your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry oh this one's kind of like got two sides to it kind of two levels but a lot of the time when you're going into a new workplace it can be a shock to the system. So it is, it's kind of like building rapport with your, your, with your community by like kind of being similar to them. So if the guys are kind of, you know, a certain way and talk about a certain thing, sometimes like to fit in, you can talk about that. But then once you're in, it's kind of like, well, I come up with this other thing when I was on another podcast, but it's like earning your stripes and then making them rainbow. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> You go in, yeah, you earn your stripes, you put in the hard yards, and then you're like, I've got this knowledge now, this is who I am, and this is all my quirks, let's go. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And where and how can people connect with you and your life coaching business? Yeah, so I've got a Facebook community um, called Tradeswomen Owning Their Power, and um, so you can request to join that. And that's where I do a lot of my free teaching as well as I also have a website, www.louiseasaparty.com, where you can book in to have a chat with me. I've got a one-on-one coaching program, which is specifically to work on whatever you need to work on at that time and to make progress on your goals and overcome your hurdles. So Don't worry, listeners, you don't have to know or guess how to spell (laughs) Luis's name. It will be in the show summary. So just hop over there and you'll be able to see. (laughs) (laughs) No, so yeah, so they're the two main ways to get in contact with me and to kind of have a piece of what I got going on. Like the way that I kind of talk about what I do or like explain what I do is like I kind of use professional development content, but put in mechanical analogies for everything. 
<laughs> just bringing it full circle. Yeah. Bringing it full circle for everyone. That's Louise, it. thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciated you sharing not only about yourself, but uh, being patient and educating me on the Australian culture and the weather. <laughs> yeah. You can go even deeper with it. Um next time you've got your next Australian on. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. I can I can go to that next level and, and keep exploring. But thanks again for taking the time. It is daytime there and it is nighttime here. Uh, it's actually 10 p.m. I'm in Eastern Standard Time and it is what time there? It's 1 p.m. on Wednesday. It's Wednesday here. It's Tuesday where you are. <laughs> it's Tuesday here and it's <laughs> Wednesday where you're at. Wild. <laughs> Wow, so you actually get to experience the New Year's before I do. Yep. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day, my friend. I am Louise as a party. I am a tradeswoman empowerment coach, and I am a femcanic. Emma McIndoe is in the driver's seat next. Emma is the Managing Director of AA Recycling and Pick Apart in Australia. Even though she spent her entire life around the industry, she never held a role until right now. She has extensive background in business and the financial industry, but recently she took the plunge into running her family's auto and metal recycling business established over 35 years ago. Be sure to check out next week's episode as this powerhouse female Aussie shares her journey into the industry. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help, grow this community do me a favor and subscribe rate review and most importantly share this podcast spread the word this is jamie b signing off are you a femcanic